Yeah. So one of the main differences that I guess between your job as a sports analyst and uh, sports statistician and my job uh, optimizing, you know, uh, sub, uh, medical supply chains and doing uh, patient monitoring is that it seems like I have an advantage in that I can sort of win over the average. So I basically have, you know, tens of thousands of times that I can make predictions on a given day or that my algorithms are making predictions. Um, whereas, you know, if you're in a game type setting, there's only a certain number of times you're going to get to decide whether or not to, you know, try to kick a field goal or try to uh, run or anything like that. So I guess um, I viewed it a little bit like uh, how many times you get to flip a coin. So there's the probability that the coin's going to turn up heads and how many times you get to flip it. And one of my advantages is that I have a high probability of heads and I get to flip it a whole bunch of times in the meantime, whereas it seems like there might be a bit more noise and fewer flips and Sunday morning quarterbacks willing to, uh, uh, you know, be an external factor. but yeah, um, is that correct, or am am I totally off there? Yeah, no. I mean, that's one of the you know kind of the, the beauties of, of sports is that um, you know, every game is only played once, and if you have a crucial decision to make, you're only going to get one outcome, and you never quite see, hey, if you made this decision, you of course you know whatever decision you went with, you're going to get the outcome from that, uh, but you really don't see they ever see the flip side of the coin that if you went in a different direction, you know what would have happened. So that's kind of, you know, part of what makes you know, sports great is that you can have these great, you know, what if conversations, but you know, a lot of times those you know, end up being unanswered questions uh, because you're only going to get you know, the one outcome. Uh, yeah. You know, certainly makes it challenging from our perspective in, in trying to, to drive people towards the correct decisions or, you know, the, the mathematically optimal decisions uh, just because, uh, you know, they're not going to get the benefits of having a large sample size of results you know, to work from. And, you know, hey, you may only get you know, one shot at this game that might you know, decide their conference championship and things of that nature. And it's, you know, regardless of what they decide, it may or may not work out. And you know, that can have some you know, pretty big implications uh, for them down the road. Yeah, so I think uh, the like two, two points there is that one... Um, um, and I actually hadn't quite thought of this one. Is it, you know, there's the absence of counterfactuals. Um, so, um, and I guess part of me is wondering: you know, are the coaches and the decision makers uh, are they you know cognizant and appreciative of the fact that there are no real counterfactuals, or do they try to create proposed counterfactuals? And then, of course, there's the small end problem, which is you know um, you're only going to have one game. So, if you consider if your game is the totality of an observation, you're only going to have one of those um, maybe per week, uh, for example. Uh, in season too. So you might, you're going to have a, a small number of maybe like a dozen or so observations per year. Um, and so are, are those, are those two, those are, uh, I guess, two of the, the really big challenges. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. And it, it's kind of interesting that if we start off with a new client and you know, trying to, to get them to change their behaviors, uh, you know, it's really beneficial that if they have success on their first couple of attempts, uh, because that just kind of you know, drives them and encourages them to, and we know in the long run, if they keep with it, it's going to work out. Uh, but there's just such an advantage that if they can kind of get off to a good start uh, and see some success with the choices that they're making, that they're much more likely to continue with that. Because uh, it's, yeah, it's it's you know it's it's difficult that if you have like you said it may only come up you know ten or twelve times over the course of the season and you know let's say you, you try something and it fails and you know then that situation comes up again later in the game 
you know, it's really hard for them to, you know, pull the trigger in a similar situation just because they've had, you know, they've got such a small sample size with which to work. And if they saw it before, like, hey, you know, it didn't work out when you did it this time. It's just, you know, really hard just to kind of, you know, move past that sometimes just from a psychological perspective. And, you know, and again, as to your point that, you know, they're, they're dealing with a small sample size, you know, worth of decisions. And so it's, uh, you know, it's always helpful, you know, for our, for our teams just to kind of get off to a good start and feel good about it and, um, you know, get some positive reinforcement from the choices that they're making. Is there, on the issue of positive reinforcement and sort of getting that in those initial few successes, um, do you moderate sort of the, the advice or the strategy that you use uh, going in? So saying like, okay, here's our first few clients. We aren't going to give them completely, you know, wonky, counterintuitive uh suggestions especially because you know obviously they always have the right to veto um what suggestions you make so would you actually say like i'm going to moderate my data driven decision or alternatively say i'm going to only give them the ones where i can really illustrate the value and say like here's my histogram or whatever um as i put up my nerd glasses you know are are we going to is is there some sort of element there where you you help gently lead them to the water or yeah, I mean, every client is a little bit different and they all start from different places and that, um, you know, our goal is to try to push them as far as close as we can towards, you know, optimal strategy. And so, you know, just kind of getting to know, uh, I mean, we've had, uh, you, know, you know, some teams that have just been, you know, that this is kind of something that they're really into and I've always wanted to you know, kind of you know, be aggressive you know, per se in the past. And this is just kind of you know, fine-tuning uh, you know, some of those recommendations and they're, they're really wanting uh, to do it. Um, you know, but others are just you know, a little bit more hesitant and, and wanting to, to dip their toes in the water. So, so yeah, so in cases like that, you know, we just, you know, we try not to, we try to push them without you know, pushing them over the edge with some mm-hmm. of our recommendations and just knowing that, you know, hey, yes, I mean, while something you know, this may be statistically optimal to, to make this recommendation. You know, our concern is that, you know, that's just going to kind of, you know, push them over the edge and they're just going to say, hey, this is crazy. And we just, you know, don't want to, uh, uh, you know, we're just going to do our own thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, certainly it's, there's a lot of psychology involved you know, with that and you know, in talking to our guys. And I think you know, education is a huge part of what, it, what we do. Um, and, you know, helping them understand and get over just kind of those psychological hurdles you know, towards you know, making those, those better choices. What helps come over those psychological hurdles? Because obviously there's the, um, there's the, they have their own uh, endogenous motivation, which is, you know, obviously their competitiveness, um, the fact that they'll see other people succeed. And um, it's hard to ignore that. Um, so obviously no one wants to give up a competitive advantage that's there. Um, but at the same time, you know, exactly how to implement this, you know, we aren't machines, we aren't, uh, robots. Well, most of us aren't. Um, and you know, uh, how do you, what, what are sort of the ways that you help someone go from saying, okay, I'm using old school sort of heuristic statistics. Cause it's not like statistics and data have never been used here. It's just, you know, the nature of how it's been interpreted. What, what, what are sort of those, uh, those stages? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting when we first got started with this, that you know, I just wanted to give our teams just a set of charts and just kind of assume that you know I had the answers and that they were going to follow along with that. 
And you know, that was just an incredibly misguided you know, thought that I had. Um, you know, I recall our, you know, my first meeting I had with a, a small school in Alabama for a university and you know, I was talking about you know, going for it on fourth down in their own territory and kind of walk through the logic behind it. And you know, the head coach at the time had been there for 30 years and very established and said, Mike, this makes perfect sense. But you know, if I try this and it fails, you know, I'm going to be on the first train out of town. Mm-hmm. So um, you just kind of, you know, that was kind of an eye opener for me just to you know, say, hey, you know, it's, it's not just dots on the chart that are going to be important. It's that, you know, we've got to explain the logic behind that and just keep, you know, reinforcing why it is that the math, you know, says, uh, you know, what it does. Um, so to answer your correct you know, question directly, I mean, the different things that we do is that, now, for each of our teams, we're going to give them you know, feedback on their games. So just you know, kind of breaking down that strategy. Hey, here's what was recommended. You know, here's what you did. And you know, let's talk about you know, if there's some you know, differentials there. You know, here's why it was the math recommended what it did. Um, you know, another thing we look closely at is you know games and situations that come up around the country. So mm-hmm. you know, if we're trying to encourage our teams to go forward on you know fourth and short in their own territory. You know, then we're going to look for games on Saturday and Sunday where teams are doing just that. So just kind of you know, positively you know, reinforcing and like, hey, you know, here's a situation where this team did it, you know, they had success, they ended up scoring a touchdown. And so you know, just trying to get them you know, to accept that these are, are more the norms uh, you know, of behavior as, as, it, you know, as, as things go along. Um, and I think, too, it's just you know, trying to break down the stats into you know, different concepts that, you know, that they would understand. And to me, actually, I mean, a lot of football coaches you know, are numbers people. It's, it is you know, very much a, a numbers you know, type of game. Um, so, I mean, they do, you know, I mean, not all, all of them are, but you know, a lot of them you know, really do get into kind of the, you know, the number crunching that we do. Um, but just you know, breaking things down you know, as a concept. So I mean, you mentioned before about you know, you know heads and tails or things of that nature, and you know, just breaking down concepts like you know, hey, if you try this particular strategy at the end of the game, you know, this give this gives you three different chance, three different ways or three different pathways you know, to win the game. Um, so you know, kind of you know, a famous example um, you know that we work with. Uh, with our teams, um, you know, there's a game a dozen years ago between the Patriots and Colts on a Sunday night football, you know, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, um, you know, Patriots were leading late in the game by six points of a leave and had a fourth and two in their own territory. Um, they went for it. They missed. The Colts got a touchdown and won the game by a point. And, you know, Bill Belichick got absolutely, you know, skewered uh, in the press as a result of that. Um, and actually, in our early days, we would show us you know, video clip you know, to our clients as to, hey, here's kind of the feedback on ESPN, the analysts railing against it. And Ron Burgundy came in to do like a cameo. And it was, it was pretty brutal. Um, but, you know, from a math perspective, it was you know, absolutely the proper choice to make. And it, and it was, you know, by a long shot. And so, you know, just kind of how we break that down by our, you know, to our teams is that, you know, hey, that particular choice, you know, gave the Patriots three different ways of winning. You know, they could make the first down on that fourth down. They would have been able to run out the clock. If they missed, they could still stop the Colts. 
and see if the Colts score. Hopefully they do so quickly, and that at least gives us a chance for a final possession. So having those three opportunities or three different ways of winning the game was vastly superior than the one option to win the game, which was punting Peyton Manning and giving him you know, two and a half minutes to go down for, for one touchdown drive. So you know, that's kind of you know, the different ways we, we try to explain it to our, our clients. Okay, you know, it's, it's having three different ways of winning is superior to one. Um, you know, we'll come up with different concepts, you know, kind of like in that particular situation, we'll talk about, you know, hey, this is a maximum aggression spot. And you know, by maximum aggression, we mean that if you make a fourth down, you win the game. Um, but if you punch, your opponent has you know, more than enough time to come back and score themselves. So that's kind of like a unique spot in the game where uh, you're know, going for it has like its its maximum benefit. So you know, we'll we'll just coin different terms that you know, correspond to various situations and. And hopefully just kind of make it sticky with our coaches that, you know, hey, we're at the end of the game and this situation comes up. My instincts may be telling us that, but, you know, we've talked about this, um, you know, ahead of time uh, and kind of you're, I'm familiar with the concept and, you know, this is why the, the stats are recommending what they are. And so, you know, I might be feeling more comfortable, you know, making that choice. Cool. Is, um, uh, so you've mentioned optimization and optimal choice several times. Mm-hmm. Do you tend to, uh, when you conceptualize this problem, um, do you tend to conceptualize it as an optimization problem? Uh, so the idea of like, how can we um, make sequentially optimal choices? Um, as opposed to, for example, I, you might just say like, I'm going to summarize uh, different scenarios and the chance of success and I'm going to sp- uh, focus my effort and prioritize essentially providing good descriptive statistics over a number of scenarios and then just hand those over. Um, obviously it's probably a mix, but just what is your gut feeling when you go in? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, all of our recommendations are, you know, what are the choices in game that are going to optimize our chances of winning? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just kind of developed, you know, based on a Monte Carlo simulation. And, you know, those choices are going to change from week to week. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, one week you could be, I mean, particularly in college football, you could be, you know, vastly superior to your opponent or at least expected to be, um, you know, better than that opponent. And then the next week you could be, um, you know, a significant underdog. And so, you know, you could be in a high scoring game, a low scoring game. You could have, you know, a great kicker. Your kicker could stub its toe and, you know, you're left with a backup kicker and you know, playing in, you know, driving snowstorm or something like mm-hmm. that. So. You know, all those factors, you know, kind of come into play. And um, you know, also game situation, uh, you know, matters a lot as well in terms of our recommendation. So, you know, kind of what we deliver to teams, um, you know, kind of, you know, the, you know, the main piece or you know, kind of the, you know, the biggest portion of what we do is you know, with fourth down decision making. And, you know, for that, you know, again, that can vary from week to week, you know, based on those, those game parameters and, you know, how good some of your specialists are. Um, again, whether you're the favorite or the underdog. Um, but I mean, those are very specific recommendations that we provide, um, you know, both in, in, and that really goes throughout the course of the game, uh, because you know, what might be a good decision in the first quarter when the game is tied, uh, you know, may not be the best choice in the fourth quarter when you're down by 10. And so we just have a, a variety of, of charts that we create for our teams that just, you know, with the concept being just, again, just focusing on fourth down decision-making that, 
you know, for any situation that comes up over the course of the game, you know, we should be able to deliver, you know, a statistically you know, accurate recommendation for you know, what they should do for that um, in that exact in that exact set of circumstances. Um, on the issue of recommendations, so I have two questions uh, that uh, just sort of popped up. One is, um, and I'll ask both, and then we can figure out which one we want to tackle first. Sure. Um, is um, so with when it comes to recommendations, do you essentially um, are coaches and staff handed, you know, essentially like a recommendation packet or something like that, like a decision chart? Because um, I guess I always like to think of it that like there's a statistician watching and they're sending the signals down yeah. and. Uh, like how much of it is a live decision or versus how much of it is essentially they have a predetermined set of charts that help them decide. Um, so th there's one, one aspect, essentially the deployment, uh, of, um, of, of these types of things. Um, sure. and the second one is, um, how many steps ahead do you look forward toward forward in your sort of optimal decision-making? Cause you know, there's sort of like this, like one step optimization versus two step optimization. And are those types of things still tractable in sports? Um, I don't know. I'm just totally curious about what the, what the answer is and how you approach it. Sure. Uh, just honest. I, I I'm unfamiliar with the first step and second step optimization. Oh, isn't like you try to look ahead multiple steps. So uh, as you said, you know, what you do when you're um, in the first quarter of a game, what's optimal there is different from what's ahead when you're in the, uh, you know, fourth quarter of a game. Um, and so, uh, or, you know, the fifth quarter of a game when it's the, still the Monday morning quarterback, but you know, uh, what, what's, um, what's the, uh, you know, how, how much of an effect does that sort of long, long-term look have like how much does it either cloud or make this decision more difficult versus if we just always try to make good like what's the next choice only you know how do we optimize that next choice and then we'll once we made that we'll make the next optimal choice from there okay um well i'll start with your first question mm -hmm. and that's just kind of you know how is this deployed you know in the course of the game and so i mean, actually i've got so i mean it is actually I mean, we've got if you're watching a game, you know, a lot of times you'll see um, a guy walking around behind the head coach you know, holding one of our binders. Okay. And um, so, I mean, it's kind of a mix between um, I mean, we have what we call our book guys, and mm -hmm. that's just someone we train on a particular team that's, uh, that knows how to interpret our charts and be able to deliver that information you know, to the head coach in real time. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a mixture in that... Um, some of our guys are, are down in the head, standing right behind the head coach and mm -hmm. others are kind of up in the booth, you know, relaying that information, um, you know, down to the coaches, but being basically, you know, just how it works is that, uh, for every set of downs that they might have on offense, um, again, there'll be charts that correspond to first quarter, uh, end of first half, fourth quarter with varying point differentials. Um, and then for each, they've got, you know, color coded, you know, based on where they are in the field, the number of yards they have to gain, but it sounds complicated, but you know, at the, at the start of each set of downs, you know, basically the head coach is going to get a number from, mm -hmm. and, and based on the charts, we'll say something like, Hey, we should be going for it at, you know, fourth and three or less you know, as an example. Mm -hmm. And so it's really a matter of preference amongst our teams as to you know, when the head coach wants to get that information. 
Uh, you know, some of them want that you know, right as a set of down starts. Some of them want to wait until it's you know, second or third down. Um, but the concept will be that you know, hopefully by the time at least third down hits, that you know, the head coach has received that information. Um, you know, that gives him a little bit of time to mull over the recommendation and kind of you know include that as part of his decision making process. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a lot of advantages to that. You know. You know, let's say the recommendation is to go forward at three. Um, head coach isn't completely comfortable with that, but it's that hey, we'll we'll go for it on fourth and two or less. You know, perfect. Um, so, but that's good information for their offensive staff to know because mm-hmm. you know that can help them with understanding what the third down play call might be. So, you know, if it's a third and five or something like that, then the offensive play caller knows that, hey, I really want to get a first down here. But he knows that, hey, as long as I get three yards, I know that I can be able to take another crack at it on fourth down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having the information early allows the, you know, again, guy following around you know, with the head coach or getting that information over his headset. You can take that information, kind of uh, include that along with his, you know, particular instincts, you know, for this situation. And then again, hopefully by third down, they've arrived at a decision of what they're willing to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, that helps them with both um, making a good, dis- good decision on fourth down. Uh, but then also one of the things that's really valuable is just to be able to make a decision quickly. Mm-hmm. And that you know, a lot of times you know, what you'll see if, you, if you've watched a lot of football is that you know team will get to a critical spot in the game, have to make a tough decision. And you'll end up making, you know, burning a timeout in order to make a choice. And then, you know, quite frequently, that timeout is not available later in order to, you know, to have the ability to, you know, manipulate the clock down the stretch. And so, you know, that can be quite harmful. So, mm-hmm. you know, both being able to, you know, make, I mean, it's one thing to be able to make good choices, um, but, you know, also the peripheral benefits of being able to make that decision quickly. Um, is also huge benefits and you know the offensive staff always appreciates you know, knowing what that recommendation is that you know, it's often quite frustrating for um you know players and coaches alike that you know if they get to the fourth down and you know they think that the decision might be you know one way and then it goes a different way that you know that can cause some some friction amongst them as well. Um yeah another question on sort of the deployment aspect is um so do you actually have employees working for individual teams? How, how does that work? Because basically, obviously, you might end up uh, having like, you know, two, t- both teams as your client, for example. Sure. Um, so is it the idea that um, you have specific people dedicated to an individual team or um, ha- to whatever extent you can say, like, well, what, what's your strategy sure. on just ha- how do you mitigate that issue? Yeah, no, I mean, we have. I mean, yeah, we don't have employees on individual teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just have contacts that we train on those teams to be able oh. to handle our materials. So mm-hmm. the book guy that I mentioned that follows around the head coach, you know, that's going to be, you know, an employee of the team um, you know, that we have trained uh, to be able to handle that role. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those guys are, you know, are incredibly important to us. You know, kind of, you know, often our internal cheerleaders there at mm-hmm. the uh, at the various organizations and. Um, you know, and certainly their ability to uh, you know, interpret our stuff and kind of work with us directly just to help, you know, set up their charts, you know, for the coming week is something that, um, you know, is crucial for our success. And, um, yeah, and, and I guess your other question was that, yes, we, we 
you know, we do have games where, um, you know, both teams you know, are utilizing our services and you know, just kind of with that model is that, you know, we give both teams their information and, um, and, and, that, and that's really it. I mean, there's not really a whole lot proprietary that, you know, they're telling us that, I mean, of course, we wouldn't share that with us regardless, but mm-hmm. you know, kind of the information that they're sharing, but, um, I mean, normally it's not anything that, uh, would give one side advantage of the other either. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you would essentially have access to whatever public profile of the team is available. Um, and you presumably have developed that across all teams, regardless, you know, from the beginning, just to get Correct. all the extra data. Right, and right, so right. You yeah, can occasionally you'll find out that, oh, yeah, I mean, our, our kicker stubbed his toe on Thursday, so you know, we're going to have to go to the backup or something like that, which mm-hmm. may not always be public information. But, mm-hmm. you know, obviously that's, you know, we can work around those things. Yeah. Um, I guess on that note as well, um, are the recommendations so the the book that you showed are they um team specific in any way or because I assume like the the team is feeding in individual data um and then you also have this more generic publicly available data from I guess game and team stats and things like that so uh to what extent are you sort of um is like you know team specific data being fed into the algorithm um that helps them make decisions yeah I mean it's kind of a blend of information mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean, the big thing that we use just that's kind of publicly available is the point spread for the games. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's no better source than Vegas to go for that. So, yeah, you know, we're trying to figure out, you know, who's the favorite, who's the underdog, highest scoring, lowest scoring game. Um, you know, we, we just get the you know, the Vegas line for, for NFL games, you know, college games, even just kind of the, the smaller colleges. You know, a lot of times, you know, they can get those numbers. Uh, we've got some high schools that, yeah, you, know, you know, typically they can feed us you know, that information. Um, but you know, there's also some things that you know we just can't pick up on from you know publicly available information. So kind of a good example is that you know, let's say we're working with a college team that's got a freshman field goal kicker. Well, you know, we have you know, unless we want to dig into some you know, high school stats or something along those <laughs> lines, I mean we really have you know, no concept of how he's going to perform at that, at that level. And so, you know, just kind of working with the teams to understand like, Hey, you know, how is he looking at practice? And, you know, let's, you know, say he's got a 45 yard field goal in the opening weekends, you know, what's, what is our best you know, projection on his, you know, success rate for that particular kick. So, you know, we can kind of give our teams some di- guidelines and some, you know, kind of some curves from which to work. Um, but it's, it's definitely a conversation that we have with each of our teams and, um, you know, we kind of, you know, our process is that you know, we'll have, you know, eight or 10 inputs that we utilize to create our charts. And, you know, before we create their books for the week, that's, you know, we always pass those over to our teams, like, Hey, you know, based on public information, here's, you know, our best estimate as to what this game is going to look like. And then just give them an opportunity to to review that and, and make some adjustments, you know, as they see fit. Yeah, I'm, I, I really, it's funny to hear about the Vegas betting as a source of information. Um, isn't I totally understand why you do that? Um, it's interesting to see how much, uh, you know, because for example, like uh, like voting uh, estimates and things like that. You know, people you people like to use these uh, these betting odds. Um, just essentially to encapsulate, I know people try to think of it as like a, oh, this is some type of ensemble method and something like that. 
and that you're just averaging across opinions. And I don't think maybe that's right. One, I don't know, but you know, so I'll just be totally honest on that. But um, at the same time, um, I think it has some more to do with the fact that um, these betting odds essentially have to do with a large number of things that you can't formalize and you can't quantify, but our brains are still pretty good at, you know, fitting it together. So it's the idea that, you know, when we're trying to make these statistical predictions or data science predictions, um, ultimately we're usually having to formalize our model for describing these things. Um, and that can get us pretty far in certain circumstances, but there's yeah. many cases where they don't. Yeah. And it, it takes a lot of pressure off as well. I found is that, I mean, if you want to get a team's opinion as to whether or not that they're the favorite of the underdog, that you know, sometimes they have a hard time you know, admitting that they might be the underdog and sort of it's less creating the numbers than that you would kind of have the feeling like, oh, yeah, you guys don't, you know, think that you know, we're, we're that good or whatever. So yeah. kind of like a, you know, independent to way of, of getting us, uh, I mean, hey, you know, Vegas is in business for a reason. And mm-hmm. you know, if there's a better way of, you know, assessing who's the favorite and the underdog or high score and low, low scoring, well, you know, we can, you know, we should all quit our jobs and, and do that. If, if we think that we're better than Vegas, then, uh, you know, we would, uh, you know, we could make a better living doing that. Yeah. I mean, also just, you know, the, the idea that uh, when it comes to self-assessment, you know, there's plenty of good reasons why, you know, there in sort of the analytical professions, a high level of hypercritical self-assessment is probably useful so that we can be correcting things. At the same time, um, you probably don't want to be over critical of your capability in certain competitive settings because there's no competitive advantage to that. You know, you, you want to be going in confidently because that's ultimately what's going to maximize your performance. Similarly, I guess, as data scientists, we can just consider it. Um, maybe it doesn't hurt if we think that we're smarter than we really are because at least it gives us the courage to sit in front of a computer for an extra, you know, four hours a day trying to work things out just, you know, to get things moving ahead. So, yeah, I think, I think that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, a little bit more generally, um, because one of the things that has interested me is the idea of, um, and I guess this is related to that more subjective, um, non-formalistic view of uh, data possibilities is, um, we're going to step out on a limb here, um, where um, there are certain data science projects that I think really have a lot of runway, where, um, and I happen to be in a, uh, I, the two fields that I've worked in um, most prominently have a massive amount of runway for data scientists, where it's effectively you could, 10 people could spend their full-on careers working on these things, and there's always just going to be more data science work to do. Um, where in sports, because, you know, you focus on football, um, where, for example, in football, do you see the most runway for data science activities, even if it's just in your gut? Where do you think that is? Where does football fall with regard to other sports? And then also, you know, within football, where's a good place to put a lot of your analytical effort? Sure. Um, I mean, to take that last question first, I mean, football is is way behind uh, the other major sports. Um, well, I guess the, the major team sports in America and, you know, basketball and baseball. You know, baseball analytics has been, you know, very popular for, for some time. Of course, you know, most out there would be familiar with, with Moneyball, the you know, book and the movie. Um, and, you know, the reason for that is that, you know, baseball is just a very binary sport. Mm-hmm. Um, it's either a ball or a strike. You swing and you miss. It's a hit or an out. Um and you know, there's a huge sample size involved with you know, 
couple hundred pitches a game and you know, five, 600 at bats and 162 games. So it's from an analytical perspective, it is a much easier game to analyze than, you know, as an example, football, where on any given play, you've got you know, 22 guys moving in all sorts of different directions. So, you know, just to try to, to break down, you know, the value of a particular player uh, on the football side is you know, incredibly yeah, more challenging yeah. than, than it might be for, for baseball or, or even for basketball where you can kind of assess, you know, a shooting percentage, what they're like from different spots on the floor, mm-hmm. um, things of that nature. So it's just a much more difficult sport to analyze than, you know, compared to those other two. Um, you know, the biggest opportunity that you know, I see with football is that, um, you know, there's a lot of data that has come out in the last few years related to player tracking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, for those that have, uh, you know, that follow the sport closely, if you're watching, you know, NFL on Sunday, you're seeing a lot more things with kind of next gen stats are, you know, we'll be showing you what was the maximum speeds, you know, of the player on, on this particular play. Um, you know, the field goal is kicked. It's, you know, it's good from 58 yards or something like that. So there's just a, a lot more data, um, that has been accumulated in the course of the last you know, five years uh, or thereabouts. And, you know, I think that, you know, just kind of the, the analytical guys that, you know, I talk to and work with, it's just, there's a lot of data and they're just, you know, starting to scratch the surface as to what to do with, with all of that. Um, I know just as an example from, from talking to a guy, you know, a few weeks ago that, you know, they have, and this is the, their draft preparation time of the year for, for NFL. And so they'll have you know, what they call their combines where, you know, they test them for you know, how fast you can run in, in various drills. And, um, you know, and he has explained to me that, you know, Hey, you're know, you used to just get the times, but now you're getting the times and, you know, I'll know for like, based on position, like, how much their knee flexed when they were running around this, you know, particular cone in a, you know, three cone drill. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know what to do with this information, you know, but I have it and right. people want to capture it. And, you know, maybe that's something that's you know incredibly important for a particular position on the field. So, you know, maybe it isn't. Um, but I think there's just kind of huge opportunities there from both you know, kind of a player evaluation and scheme and uh, you, know, you know practice and uh, you know whatever you can imagine. Just you know being able to kind of decipher that this large dump of data that's now available in football uh, and helping just kind of you know make sense of it all. Yeah. So just uh, I guess maybe to break that down a little bit more. So it's like you know you have these. Um, more novel statistics, um, a lot more like more highly granular statistics and information on individual athletes. Again, you talked about like the uh, the uh, angle of their knee, you know, the uh, maybe like knee drive, the uh, amount of acceleration in one of their um, in one of their like uh, running tests and things like that. Sure. And so, I guess the question is like, well, you know, if you've been fixated on, um, you know, fixated in the positive way, because, you know, there's opportunity costs, anything that you do. Um, if you've been focusing on, you know, game performance, it might seem like, okay, it's hard to figure out how to translate this new data set or this, this new set of data to game performance. And so is the idea that maybe what you want to do is 
have some intermediate step where you translate it first into, for example, like training or injury or some of these additional uh, ancillary statistics, and then in turn translate those into game performance or win performance? Is it is the idea that it's like that? Is that probably what you would see as the steps where you're going to need to create some more intermediate um, metrics or intermediate steps in order to, I guess, bring this data to fruition? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just trying to make, you know, what are the things that, um, you know, really make a difference, you know, from that, from that data. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it might be something as simple as, um, you know, if you're watching someone in, in practice, and you've got, you know, nine freshman receivers running through drills. Um, you know, if you can start to, um, you know, capture some of these, you know, pieces of data, you might notice that, hey, you know, this, you know, this kid is is creating a lot more separation from, you know, the defensive backs than his counterparts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one problem that you have in football is that, you know, the success of one player is always, is often predicated on the performance of others. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to evaluate, you know, how a wide receiver is performing, that, you know, hey, if, if a receiver gets wide open, you know, that's fantastic. But if the offensive tackle missed its block or the quarterback decided to throw to somebody else, that, you know, that his work on that play can go, you know, completely, you know, unnoticed. So, I mean, I think it's just kind of, you know, coming up with, with different ways of evaluating players. And I think the NFL has been getting better with that in that you understanding that, hey, you know, it may not always be the guys with the best stats, um, that necessarily are the same players and, you know, can use some of these metrics just to be able to put some of these guys you know, on the same scale for comparison, uh, you know, just based on, you know, some of this, you know, this data that is being um, kind of isolate the performance of each player just you know, on its own merits and, uh, you know, not in conjunction necessarily with, uh, you know, how his teammates are, are doing around him. Yeah, um, on the issue of sort of irreducible complexity, where you know there's complexity to these uh, to these elements, and um, there's only so much that you can untangle. Um, do you think that it is a problem of well, not a problem? Do you think that the solution is essentially collecting more data, or to some extent, is it just um, like where does the buck stop with the irreducible complexity? Um, is it just collect more and do more analysis? add more, I guess, factors and condition it or um, on some level just to say, here's the error margin and um, try to operate around that. Yeah, no, I mean, I honestly, I haven't been able to tackle it much myself just to kind of understand, you know, how good the data is, and, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, kind of you know, what else there is. Um, yeah, I guess I haven't had a chance to, to dive into it, you know, myself, not really kind of understand that, but I mean, my just personal assessment just, you know, kind of as an outside observer is that, um, you know, certainly it was a data problem for a long time. Um, but now like, I think the data is there and it's just, I, I think it's much more of an interpretation issue at this point than it is like, Hey, you know, we just, we need to capture more data. That, that is sense. interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that that is really interesting. I don't, I don't envy the challenge of doing that. Um, um, there are in my uh, area, uh, especially with regard to patient monitoring, there are certain effectively 
blind spots that I have in my own work and just like, yeah, I'm never going to be able to um, really, ex- there's something going on here. It's probably essential, um, but I'll never be able to exploit that given the nature of a given data set or how things are um, acquired. So I definitely appreciate um, the challenge involved in what you're describing there. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that's been kind of interesting to me or, or something I think the NFL that's done is smart is that yeah, in the last few years, they've they've ran a contest. They call it their, their big data bowl. Mm-hmm where they just have a problem that they're trying to solve or they want to learn about um, you know, a particular issue. So, you know, they'll just, you know, dump a data set out there and you know, anyone can enter the contest and just, you know, come up with their ideas as to, you know, what, what's the, you know, the proper solution. Um, you know, I knew that you know, one year they had something about, you know, how can you measure, um, how many rushing yards would come on a particular play mm-hmm. and where the elements that are kind of you know, driving how much success or how much yardage was going to come from a particular run play. And, you know, the winners you know, were from, I, I can't remember what country it was from, but, you know, it wasn't a country that was playing football, mm-hmm. um, but we're just you know, kind of you know, looked at it that you know, just come from a completely you know, independent uh, perspective and, you know, just, you know, came up with some fascinating conclusions that like the running back himself had very little impact um, on the success of a run play. It was just, you know, it pretty much all came down to the, the quality of the offensive line and you know, what size of a hole it could generate. So, oh, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, for people that are kind of interested in, in looking into this and for trying to, to get into the careers, like you know, there are some opportunities like that just to you know, kind of mess around with some data and then see what you can come up with. Um, to what extent is it possible for um, coaches or teams individually to start generating useful sort of experimental data? Because, you know, we've talked about irreducible complexity. We've talked about the fact that um, there is this lack of counterfactual information. And so is there any idea where essentially coaches can create war games, so to say, where they effectively test these things out on their own players in order to to increase that sample size and just sort of increase that experimental space, so to say? Uh, I've never heard of, of anything mm-hmm. really along those fronts. Um, I mean, we, we do our best just as a company, just kind of in the off season and things of that nature, just to you know, aggregate, you know, a lot of that information that happened during the course of the season and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of share that, you know, with our teams and, you know, we'll have a, you know, a fourth down report where you know, we talk about, you know, how often teams have gone for it on fourth and whatever yards from mm-hmm. whatever the, you know, the field and like comparing that to you know, years past, you know, and things of that nature. So um, that kind of to your earlier point, just to, you know, we, we try to keep teams from focusing too much on their own information, mm-hmm. just from the perspective that, you know, oh gosh, or we were just terrible on this, you know, last year, or, you know, we were, you know, we did fantastic on this, you know, last year. Um, and that's like, hey, yes, you did. You did that, that's true. But you also only had, you know, five or six of these situations. So, you know, there's, there's, you know, probably not a, yeah, that, that probably doesn't mean much uh, in terms of predictive nature for the, for the coming season. So, um, you know, we do a lot of work in trying to, to aggregate, you know, a lot of the results, um, you know, that our teams put together just to kind of, you know, build a, a more 
you know, compelling case or, you know, kind of, you know, share with them just more of you know, what the, um, you know, the actual results are versus just trying to, to get bogged down in kind of an individual team's results. Yeah, no, that, that, that is, that is really interesting. I, um, I again, like that's that type of strategy. Um, cause when, when you, when you're talking about, you know, it's like, oh, well, how much, um, how much is like, I guess a rush or a pass, how far does it get you? And you're saying, you know, well, it matters less on the person running the ball than for example, how much of an opening could be created. Uh, naturally part of me thinks, oh, well, it's like, could we try to experiment on that where you would essentially coach and test around scenarios where you tell the players on one side to essentially try to maximize some parameter that you know works well and then just see what type of effect that is. Um, on, I guess on a similar note, um, cause and th- this is actually saw uh, spurred from an, a conversation that I was having with somebody who does uh, hockey analytics and they're really excited because essentially, um, um, some like, uh, their sort of HD, uh, 360, 360 camera system was now being installed in a lot of these arenas. And so effectively the person they're looking for was a computer vision, um, a computer vision scientist to start, you know, dealing with this now, you know, terabyte of data per game or whatever it would be. Um, is football going into something similar to that where effectively you're going to go from basically, you know, you, you talked about, you know, we're going to be doing some uh, like Markov chain modeling and things like that to saying, okay, what we need actually are people with like, for example, computer vision skills or some of these weirder skills, just not weirder, but you know, uh, one of these less, even less traditional skills to even generate the data that we're going to have. So we essentially want to start capturing more data because you, you mentioned, you know, going back and uh, looking at plays throughout a season and curating that data for your decision-making. Um, what, what do you see is like, um, as you, uh, who, who, who's going to start getting added to sort of the data science hub in football? Yeah, I mean, again, I, I don't claim any particular expertise uh, on kind of you know, that area. But mm-hmm. I mean, to me, like I said earlier, I mean, I think the people that can kind of take the large data that's available today and find the meaningful factors that the coaches really want to see from that, um, I mean, I, I think that's, you know, that's going to be, you know, kind of that there, there's always going to be, you know, a, a great need for the person that can give the coach exactly what information that they want. Um, and, you know, I, I think one thing that's, that's very important uh, to consider just at least for working with teams in the middle of the season is how little time that you know, coaches really have for things like us. Mm-hmm. Um, or kind of, you know, breaking, you know, yeah, you know, that, that's fantastic if you can give them, you know, a hundred pages of stats, but you know, they aren't going to read that. Right. You, know, you need to condense it down into something that they can digest in 10 or 15 minutes. It's not that it isn't interesting or good, but, um, again, if you've got you know, all this player tracking data or whatever the case might be, it's, you know, there's just so much value, I think, in being able to take all that, assimilate it down into, you know, what are the four or five things that the coaches really need to know and can make a difference to help them win that weekend. So, I mean, I, I think that's something that is, that is huge. Um, when you talk about, you know, just kind of the different angles and I, mean, I never really thought about that before, but it does make, you know, a lot of sense that if you can kind of figure out that, you know, Hey, you know, the size of the hole is going to impact the running game and, 
if you can get some you know, better cameras in there, um, uh, you know, just to really, um, you know, perhaps you know, dissect something like you know, an offensive lineman, you know, how quickly he can get his foot in the proper position to, in order to make a block that you know, could create, um, you know, a bigger hole or something along those lines that, you know, that isn't, you know, when you're breaking down film today, you're going to get a, um, you know, a video camera that's, uh, that shows, you know, all 22 players in the film. And, you know, some of that minutia is, is going to be lost. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that could, you know, that's a very interesting concept that if you can kind of you know, really, you know, dig in and, you know, follow the progress and see really the intricacies of, of each of the players and start to break that down, you know, that could be you know, kind of a, a next level, um, you know, just kind of, you know, building on that concept. Yeah, because I, mean, I guess sort of what's, what spurred it was the idea that, you know, you had mentioned earlier that there's some these new statistics coming in, um, you know, the the uh, uh, biomechanical angles, things like that, acceleration. Um, some, And I think, you know, it's like, well, how can you, and the, I guess the baseline problem is, you know, the one we started off describing, it's this small in non-counterfactual uh, decision, uh, decision realm, which is, you know, it's like, Man, that's just so hard. Like I again, I don't envy it. Um, it's it's really hard. And um, so the question is like, well, how can we start enriching this initial data space? And you know, you you mentioned, well, we're gonna bring in these, you know, secondary uh, statistics and try to figure out how we can start fitting those in. Um, but you know, the also the idea is um for those don't maybe directly relate because you know they're they're from you know, maybe non-game scenarios and things like that, they're ancillary. Um, and so if you think so, well, how can we enrich it? Uh, with the most game-like things. Well, as you mentioned, um, you know, you are looking back and looking from at different plays across the entire season and enriching, enriching your data set that way, which I think is really good. And that's something that I wouldn't mind us circling back on quickly. Um, sure. The, the idea is, you know, at the same time, it's like, well, maybe you could enrich it with the counterfactuals that you're missing uh, during those practice scenarios. But then again, you know, you know, there's a lot of heavy lifting in there. That's that's not something where you just say, ah, oh, there's a concept. Now let's implement it. It's like, okay. How do we do that? You know, what, what technology do we need? Which which nerds do we need to get on the ground? Actually, making sure that this math that the data is correct and things like that. Um, but yeah, no, it is um, it it is exciting that you know that you've identified these you know interesting new places while not getting totally sidetracked. I think that's one of the interesting things. You know, you as a business owner, there's so many things that you can do. Um, the how do you how do you not get sidetracked? How do you not there's so many things you can chase. How do you make sure you don't don't just like chase every opportunity? What do you, what do you focus on? Yeah, I mean, we've just been very focused on um, you know, just game strategy and um, and really, it's kind of getting feedback from our customers as to you know what's important you know to them. So, I mean, as an example, it's. And we started this is all about you know fourth downs and two points and just kind of giving them the charts and then just you know in, in talking to our guys um, you know just like the at our you know our second year we you know, our, our first year we had one client and you know the second year we had you know, four or five and you know one of them was you know Montana State. Um, and you know, after their games, their their the head coach's son was our, and so you know, I would just you know email him some of the thoughts you know, about the game, like hey, here's how you kind of manage your time in the you know at the end of the half, or you know we just you know kind of talk about it from 
you know, not really deep and kind of the, I mean, some of the fourth down things, of course, but just kind of some of the, uh, I would just say just a basic game strategy type of situations. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's not you know, complicated, I guess, you know, th- it's not really complicated math, it's just more logic type problems. Mm-hmm. How do we use our, our timeouts, you know, at the end of the first half on like a, on a two minute drill. So, you know, we would just, you know, go back and forth and, you know, just kind of make a long story short, you know, after like you know, four or five weeks, you know, I realized that, you know, they really enjoyed that feedback, you know, from us on, you know, the things outside of, you know, the heavy math uh, portion of this, so mm-hmm. down decision-making. So, you know, it really just turned into a conversation, you know, every Sunday night, I would just, you know, pass along my thoughts on the game and, uh, you know, dad, the head coach would chime back with, with kind of, you know, what he was thinking as it kind of came along. And so, you know, really that was something that became ended up becoming central to our offering is that you know, okay, you know, these coaches are actually looking for, for feedback on their games, you know, for things you know outside of, of fourth downs. You know, what if we talked about uh, you know timeout usage and uh, you know when to accept or decline a penalty or you know some of these other things that come up at the end of the game, like you know, should we allow the opponent to score a touchdown because you know that's better than letting them you know, s- you know kick a field goal at the end of the game? So, um, so that's really kind of driven. You know, our pathway is just kind of you know talking to the coaches and you know seeing what it is that's you know of interest um, to them. Um, again, it's. It, a lot of it just hasn't been you know, really heavy math. It's just you know, kind of helping them, you know, solve you know some of these logic problems or are bringing you know, other logic problems uh, you know, to their attention and uh, you know, helping them have some good conversations with their staff you know, to help them, um, you know, you know, follow this you know, properly. Um, I mean, really, how we spend most of our time in the off season is. You're talking directly with our teams and that you know, we'll have a you know, two-hour conversation with a particular school or, or team and you know, walk them through the situations that they had over the course of the year and, um, and, and talk about you know, different things from a statistical perspective that, that they can do better. And so um, I'm not sure if I completely answered your question there or what the original no, that's, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I was also glad. It's like, oh, cool. So basically, they spend as much time talking to people as every other data scientist does. Uh, you know, just like that feeling, that space, trying to figure out where you can add value. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's just, you know, talking to the teams, bringing scenarios to their space. And you know, what we found is that, um, I think it just kind of goes into decision making in general, that mm-hmm. it's very hard to make a decision, you know, with 60,000 people like, you know, screaming in your ear. Um, you know, on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, mm-hmm. um, if you haven't thought about it, you know, previously. So, you know, bringing some of these uh, scenarios to their attention, and you know, we encourage them all to you know, have a meeting on Thursday. You know, just spend a half an hour, an hour with your staff, just going over strategy and different situations, and kind of you know, getting comfortable with um, you know that component of the game, such that. And even as a head coach, if you do something, you don't want you know, the rest of your staff to be thinking, oh, you know, what's he doing that for? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a weird decision. Um, so just kind of get everyone on the same page, you know, have some good discussion about it and 
you know, you're much more likely to to make that choice on Saturday or Sunday if it's if it's something that you you know really thought about ahead of time. So, you know, that's really a lot of the work that you know, we end up doing in the off season is, is working with these teams, help facilitating those discussions, and just you know kind of keep you know drilling into the same concepts you know, for them. Yeah, as um, I guess one thing that you uh, you brought up two interesting things. One is the issue about you know whether or not uh, how do you get an entire team to sort of start internalizing some of those uh, data-driven approaches. And so effectively, um, when you're making a more data-driven decision, um, how it seems not quite as crazy uh, as, as it might from a more heuristic approach. But um, maybe I think maybe a more interesting question than that is um, that you brought up, you know, with the 50,000 opinionated people screaming at you, um, is that there's also seems to be like an asymmetry in the mistakes that you make. So for example... If you make a mistake in the way that everyone else would have anticipated you to, so say you call some type of play, and that's what the majority of people would have done anyway, that mistake is forgivable. Sure. Whereas if you do something that's counterintuitive, well, then you're just this guy who's off the rails. And so the idea is that even though um, one mistake might actually even have a less, uh, you know, that first mistake might actually even be worse. Uh, because if it's something that a large number of people anticipate, well, it's probably, um, you'd probably gain more by making the right decision in the first place. So there's that sort of asymmetry thing. Um, do you, do you manage that? Is that formalized in some way or is it just part of the, the stress? Yeah, no, I mean, you, you described that perfectly in that, yes, there are many common mistakes that teams make and it's just become so ingrained in the football culture that, I mean, just, I mean, the common one is just, you know, fourth and one anywhere on the fields. I mean, unless it's an ex- extremely unique situation is, you know, from a math perspective, it's almost always to go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like deep in your own territory or whatever, I mean, teams almost always punt and, you know, it's so accepted over the course of time that, you know, when that move is, is made that it's, it's, it's just accepted and, and nobody really gives us, you know, a lot of thought. I mean, it's changing a little bit, but you know, in general, it's, it's not a, you know, it's not something that, you know, teams have been, are, are going to get called out on. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, the counter to that is that if a team you know, does go for it and what happened to miss and gives up a touchdown or something along those lines that, you know, they're going to get, you know, absolutely, you know, you know, they can get, you know, skewered from, you know, both the, the fans and the press, you know, mm-hmm. from doing that. So, I mean, it does create kind of a, a disincentive um, for them to try that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's definitely a challenge. And, and kind of, again, why we work on kind of the education piece. It's like, hey, you know, here's the teams that are doing it and here's them having success. And, you know, really the success rate on this is, is really high. So, and we do a lot of work just to try to get them over the hurdles. And, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely a dynamic that is, it's very prevalent, uh, in, in the football space and what we deal with. Cool. Um, I guess, uh, since, uh, we, we only have a little bit more time left. Uh, one thing, since we have a lot of, um, early career data scientists and statisticians, um, so people who are either in university or have recently left and they may, might think, you know, it's like, well, it looks like Michael has a cool job. Um, you know, like what, what's uh, like, how could, how could they get into the game? So, so to speak, um, you know, obviously you, you started with us, um, a client and you built it that way and you built your offerings from that. Um, 
But I guess there's several interesting things here. One, you know, obviously you're the owner of your company. You've you've literally mm-hmm. built up this structure. Um, and maybe it seems that, you know, uh, people coming in now, they might have two options. One, they can try and like independently consult or they can try and get a job with, you know, a company like yours um, or, you know, or with uh, some company in Vegas with the betting and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you suggest that people who are interested in dipping their toe in the water get involved? Is it the is it the NFL datathon? Is that is that the thing that they should do? Yeah, no, I mean that's I mean that's a that's a great way to uh, to get started. And I mean the guys that are guys and ladies, so should, okay. then there's there's definitely some ladies doing this as well. Um, I mean the the people that have won that competition in the last few years, I mean from what I've seen, that they you know they get scooped up you know by mm-hmm. uh, by, by teams you know pretty quickly from doing that. Um, you know, it, it's interesting when if I you know meet with a you know NFL team in particular, I mean they'll have anywhere from you know two or three, and I think you know some larger departments may have you know four or five you know, analytics types in there, and you know they all have kind of a unique story. I mean, there there's not a, it, it's not like being a lawyer where you can mm-hmm. uh, you know kind of you know plot a steady course and um, you know you'll you'll be a, a, a lawyer one day. Um, you know, for me, I mean, I worked in the financial sector as a statistician and consultant for, for 20 years. And uh, really just, you know, I just got started by, by watching games and realized or, um, you know, some of the choices that the coaches were making you know, didn't seem quite right to me. And, uh, you know, really just started with the back of the envelope and moved it over to Excel and, you know, kind of turned into an obsession and <laughs> turned it into a company. and. Uh, you know, really had no grand plan from the outset, but you know, really it was a case where you know, one thing just kind of led into another, and uh, you know, now we have a you know, you know a company with a um, you know, a pretty nice following. Um, you know, I, I think that that's one pathway to always look at is that uh, I mean, it, it, it's hard to get started, but if you've kind of got your own unique idea and you know, a new angle on something, you know, that's always going to catch people's attention. Um, I know, you know, one guy that I met from basketball had his own blog and ended up, you know, gained some popularity and, you know, ended up, you know, hooking up with, uh, with a team that way. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, I mean, if you're in the university, I think with a lot of, you know, there's some schools that have some really good, uh, sports analytics program. I know we've, uh, there's one at Davidson, mm-hmm. uh, professor, uh, Tim Chartier has uh, worked with him, uh, on a, on a few things. And, you know, he's fantastic and, and spoken to some you know, analytics groups and, and colleges at, um, uh, at a few spots. But I mean, I think just kind of getting involved if you're at a university and just, you know, volunteering with, uh, you know, the various programs, uh, just to kind of help understand, uh, I mean, you never know what connections that you'll make, but also just uh, getting to understand like the coaches and players' mindsets. I mean, particularly, you know, for someone like myself who, you know, just kind of maxed out at, you know, intramural ball in, in college <laughs> that, uh, you know, doesn't really have that that playing and coaching background uh, just to kind of get, you know, involved uh, in their world. Um, so, yeah, I mean, no, no linear pathway, but, uh, you know, certainly I think that there's some different angles, you know, that could be pursued just to, you know, kind of get yourself you know, off the ground there. Cool. Yeah, no, I, um, 
I really do like the idea of uh, people who have sort of unique and creative angles because I think that it's something that um, within our data science community, the creative element of what we do is well regarded, and people understand that. You know, there's a there's a lot of creativity and imagination when it comes to actually, you know, for example, connecting data set A that people care about to data set B that people care about, and how to actually figure out um, something of value in that way. Um, but you know, externally, people I think sometimes mistake this as a little bit of like a dry uh, sort of hyper-systematic career. And, you know, it isn't. There's such a massive level of creativity. Um, Also, how far hard work can get you. Um, um, Just, you know, that element of, you know, if you're willing to just log more hours, analyzing your data, you'll have more insights, you'll have a better idea about where to go forward. So I hope that um, anyone who is interested uh, can follow uh, the, the advice that you've given even if it just means you pester people at your local athletics department and say, yeah, no, that's I've good. got time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's kind of you said, it's, it's very interesting just to, to ask the people, you know, how they got started and it's, uh, you know, Hey, I was running for local paper and just you know, kept pestering the general manager and, and sending him, you know, my thoughts on, on various things. <laughs> but, um, yeah, or you just knew the right person and you know, happened to have the, yeah, I mean, I mean, football and, and coaching, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of a small world. Um, I mean, even at the you know, college level, you've got, you know, hundred, you know, 30 head coaches and usually have, you know, nine or 10 assistants. So, I mean, there's, there's, it's really only a universe of, um, you know, a couple thousand people that are, mm-hmm. you know, at the, the higher levels of, levels of football. And so, you know, it's just, yeah, trying to find a connection to, to get within that circle is, um, I mean, it, it's a challenge at the outset and, and certainly one that we faced, you know, not really having any uh, <laughs> connections. So, um, yeah, once you get in, you, you, you know, you can create some opportunities for yourself. Cool. Yeah, I guess um, my final question is sort of building off of what you've just described, where um, to what extent can people sort of... Uh, communicate because you know there's an infinite number of people willing to give their opinions on things and you know w- willingness to give one's opinion is not really like an exceptional trait um <laughs> some of us just make podcasts uh, but you know you get the idea that um what what are good ways that someone can actually distinguish themselves as someone who is you know well-grounded a good uh critical analyst of this domain as opposed to somebody who's just giving a few opinions and throwing around some numbers is it like should they create a track record of being right with things uh retrospectively so they give good retrospective analysis is a good prospective guesses or i guess is it's anyone's game that you show that you're good at critical thinking critic thinking critically yeah. yeah no i mean it was certainly something that i was surprised about at the end of the you know as i started off this journey again as someone that and just worked in the financial field and, you know, no background in, you know, football whatsoever that, you know, I was really reluctant to like, Hey, you know, if I'm talking to, you know, head coach of a, of a university, are they, are they really wanting to know what I think about these particular situations? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was really just kind of a surprise to me that they did. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, yeah, I mean, actually, I've never really, you know, thought about you know, why that is. I mean, I, I guess that maybe I we sound like we knew that we what we were talking about, 
Um, and maybe that we spent some time to understand their worlds and, you know, and try to see things from their perspective. Um, you know, that helped us to, um, you know, to, you know, kind of, you know, perhaps, you know, win that trust. Um, and, you know, I kind of think for us that, you know, although we just, you know, started off with, you know, a couple of clients that were kind of a couple of small schools that, you know, we were really fortunate to get, you know, I think if we had started off at the NFL level, we probably would have struggled. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just kind of starting off with, you know, some of the kind of, you know, building up to that and, you know, working with people that could kind of give us insights, you know, into their worlds and work closely with us and just, you know, kind of help us, you know, increase, you know, our knowledge of the sport and, um, you know, what suggestions that we make are welcome, you know, which ones just to kind of, you know, edit out <laughs> and, uh, and just kind of find like, you know, the right tone with which to, um, you know, to get started with. And then, you know, I guess, you know, that helped us to build some credibility as well. That, you know, hey, as you start to, you know, move your way up the ladder, that you've got the credibility that, you know, hey, you know, you guys aren't the guinea pigs, but, you know, we have worked with, with clients in the past and, um, you know, have had success with them. And, you know, again, we're just not starting up with them. So, but it was, you know, kind of a challenge, you know, as you're getting started, just to kind of get, you know, comfortable in that environment and feel like you're an accepted, you know, part of that circle, um, particularly when that's, that's, that's not your background. Yeah. Well, I will, I will quickly, uh, interject on one thing where you said, you know, well, um, you know, why would they, uh, well, uh, you know, for some reason they thought we knew what we were talking about, but you know, the idea is, um, you know, you might not know more overall about a domain, but you might be yeah. the most knowledgeable person you'll meet on that subdomain because you look very specifically at the data and you stayed fixated. So your domain of expertise, while it might start off with narrow, you might've been the deepest person that they yeah. had met to cover that. And maybe that's a great way to, um, yeah. Begin. And we try to make it, you know, very clear to our coaches that, I mean, I think it's almost good that, I mean, I don't have, you know, the experience of coaching. So, you know, I'm not here to, to criticize your play call. I can't draw up a, you know, a play on your blackboard that would have mm-hmm. any chance of success. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a very narrow focus and we have, you know, we're just you know, trying to help you make you know, good decisions over the course of the game. And, you know, instead of, relying on your gut instincts here, you know, here's another tool that can help you make those with, you know, some, some math to back it up. Cool. Well, I really appreciate your, uh, your insight on this. Uh, I guess, um, my final question is, uh, data science, analytics, statistics. Um, do you think that all, are all these terms useful and sort of interchangeable in the area of sports analytics, or do you think that there's some, there's some areas where maybe people differ in their mentalities and how they deal with these things? Yeah, I mean, I think just, I mean, you know, within sports, everything is listed as analytics mm-hmm. and there probably should be some more definition within that. And that, um, I mean, anything it seems like related to math and <laughs> that <laughs> is kind of, you know, grouped into that, that analytics, you know, category. So. I'm not really too familiar, to be honest, with you know, all the the differentials mm-hmm. you know, of those of those types of of roles. Um, but I know, just at least within sports, that you know, anything that's 
you know, related to, to math or the, the people behind the scenes looking at the numbers that they're all just kind of, um, you know, rolled into that, you know, the analytics, you know, category. And I mean, the thing too, is that, um, you know, I, I think it's so new, particularly what I see in, at the NFL level is that they may only have you know, a couple different you know, analytics guys. Um, so, I mean, their roles can be you know, wildly different from one. I mean, the different yeah. things that they're being asked to do is, I mean, yeah, working with us or helping evaluate draft prospects or, you know, help with the budget or, you know, just try to, to identify. Get sales. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just a very, you know, wide ranging uh, type of role that they may mm -hmm. be asked to do, which I, mean, I think could be interesting, but um it's not like if you walked into the you know an NFL team as a as an you know, analytics that there's going to be a you know, training guide with you know here's exactly what your role is going to look like. It's you know they could be you know one of a hundred different you know projects that you'll be asked to do, and more than likely it's you know there's not going to be any uh, specific guidelines as to you know how it is that you're going to be you know achieving that um, that objective. Oh, Michael, I've uh, really enjoyed hearing from you, um, not just, you know, as someone who works in a, um, I would say, a very uh, subjective and sort of challenging data-driven field, but, you know, also, you know, it's always nice to see entrepreneurs and how they make headway uh, in their profession into these new um, domains. So I think that's something that's interesting. I think that probably a lot of the listeners are also interested to see that because, um, you know, there, there there is this, you know, entrepreneurial drive about how people can be forging their own ways forward with their data science careers, their analytics careers, um, and seeing how they can make those opportunities for themselves. So I think uh, you definitely hit on a number of interesting things. And I, I do appreciate it. Um, and just sort of giving your own opinion about where these types of things are going and how to succeed at. So um, I, I wish you the best of luck on um, on these things. And it'll, it'll be cool. Maybe, um, maybe someday we'll flip on the television and actually see um, well, we'll see more of your books uh, being uh, carried around in the stands and behind the coaches and things like that. Um, I think that'd be fun. Very good. All right. Well, thanks so much, Glenn, for having me on. And um, yeah, enjoy the conversation. Hey, guys, it's Glenn. Thanks for your time today. I hope you liked today's episode. If you did, please consider smashing that like button. It's the single, simplest, fastest way to make sure that YouTube shows this video to more people. If you really want to go crazy, consider subscribing or going to our website and joining the mail list. If you want to go totally crazy beyond that, forward this to a friend or colleague who you think might enjoy this too. We're a small channel and every bit helps. Our next episode will be coming out next week, so in the meantime, feel free to look around the channel and see other videos that might be of interest. As a quick disclaimer, the views expressed in the show do not represent anything other than the people saying those words, views, etc. like that. It doesn't mean anything about their employers or their employers' views or some thing about their employers or their neighbor's cat or anyone else not saying the words. And in fact, given that people tend to change their views when they're thoughtful enough, it might not even represent the views of the speaker by the time you're hearing the episode. So definitely come back and see if they've changed their views at a later date. They also don't represent the views of our sponsors. Thank you to our sponsors. You can check them out on our website. Thank you.